0: Welcome to the Vision Church podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message.
1: If you have your Bible, we're gonna go ahead and jump in today to Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse two. Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse two. While you're turning there, just let me encourage you, uh, if anything in today's message and, and service blesses you, this is a perfect opportunity for you to text somebody, tell somebody, get here tonight at five o'clock in 630 because we'll have plenty of room for them at that time. And also, can we give it up for our worship team who did a magnificent job? My goodness, wow. This team, I'm telling you, we are blessed beyond imagination. It's embarrassing how blessed we are as a church. Trust me, I travel and preach sometimes and I'm always like, thank you, Jesus, when I'm coming home. It's true, sorry. Also, I want to give you an update. If you're new to Vision Church, this June we closed on 6070 East Independence Boulevard, Charlotte, North Carolina, and we're raising money to transform this space so that lives will be transformed in it. That's the future of what it's going to look like. Um, We set a goal to raise $1 million by May 2023. And I'm pleased to tell you that um, we started the campaign in September. We've raised $566,790. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. Thank you to those of you who have given and contributed and sacrificially given. This is the most generous church I've ever seen in my life. And for those of you who give, I just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you. Every cent is going into the transformation of that facility. With that being said, we still have $433,000 left to go by May, and guess what? It's gonna happen. It's gonna come in. We're gonna have more than enough to do the work that he's called us to. And if you wanna be a part of that, you can do so online at your own convenience at visionchurch.com. Now for the word of God, Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse two. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Their boots of the warriors and the uniform bloodstained by war will all be burned. They'll be fuel for the fire. Verse six, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity, and the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Pray with me now, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we love you for who you are, and we are thankful for your word today. It is with humble expectation that we approach Isaiah chapter nine today. I pray you'd be strong in my weakness and that you would illuminate this right before our eyes. It's not good sermons that change lives. It's the moving of your Holy Spirit. And so today, Lord, I ask you to be strong in my weakness. May I be hidden behind the message of the cross. And you do what only you can do in this place. Touch every heart and every life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 So a little context here. The book of Isaiah is written in roughly 700 B.C. So 700 years before Christ came to earth, the prophet Isaiah wrote a messianic prophecy foretelling of what the Messiah would be like. He's foretelling the future, pointing forward to Christ. During this time, there was a deep darkness that was over the nation of Israel. And Isaiah prophesied a warning to them that oppression was coming in an even greater level, and the night was going to grow darker. He warned them that the Assyrians were about to invade the northern kingdom of Israel and that they would suffer greatly. And in the midst of this darkness and tumultuous picture that he paints, he actually brings some good news. And he says in Isaiah 9 1, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. This first entrance of this messianic text comes with good news. And he says, the trouble won't last. If you would look at your neighbor, help me preach and tell him the trouble won't last. (laughs) I know that morning may last for a night, but there is joy that's coming in the morning. I know you may be walking through darkness and difficulty today, but trouble won't last always. This is the good news. He says that a light will shine in the darkness. People who wander aimlessly, that are lost and hopelessly searching, cloaked in darkness, a great light will pierce the darkness and shine into their lives. This is a powerful text. He also mentions in Isaiah 9 that these northern provinces, and some of your translations say Zebulun and Naphtali, those are modern-day Galilee and Nazareth, Isaiah prophesies that those areas will suffer the greatest darkness, but to them, God will bring the light the first. He'll bring the light the soonest to them. And if you're remembering, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, hails from Nazareth and Galilee. The people that suffered the greatest, that endured the longest darkness, to them, he gave the light the fastest. This is a profound text that spoke precisely to the person of Jesus Christ. Over the next few minutes today, we're just gonna unpack this text, and I pray and believe that God is gonna speak new life and bring revelation before us all. I wanna look at verse six again. A child is born, a son is given. Help me preach, look at your neighbor on the left and say, a child is born. And now look at your neighbor on the right and say, a son is given. Ooh, y'all are alive today. I like that. I like it. A child is born, a son given. Now, at first glance, it seems like he's saying the same thing twice, but I want to direct your attention to the reality that every word, every sentence is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is there by design. This is a repetition, and any time the Hebrew text repeats a statement, it is for the utmost importance to emphasize the statement. The prophet Isaiah wants you to know that the Messiah will come. He will be a child born and a son given. Although on the surface it appears to say the same thing, there's actually two distinct and profound realities that it is revealing. So the first thing is a child is born. This statement reveals the humanity of the Messiah, One of the first heresies and oldest heresies that was preached in the New Testament was that Jesus was not fully human. The only reason he could perform the miracles, open the blind eyes, cause the deaf to hear and the lame to walk was because he was God alone. They denied his deity. Many of the early Gnostics preached that Jesus' resurrection was spiritual in nature, that it was not a physical, glorified body that was raised from death to life. And I say to you, that is heresy. He was fully God and fully man. He became flesh and dwelt among us. His humanity is absolutely critical and essential in our Christian faith. The scripture reiterates over and over the humanity of Jesus Christ. Remember in the gospels, it tells us that Jesus fell asleep while on a boat with the disciples in the midst of the storm. While everybody else was panicking and freaking out, Jesus was at peace, he was content. Many of you are worrying about things that you can't control. And most of the stuff you worry about won't ever come to fruition anyway. We can take a note out of the page of Jesus and let it be well with your soul. Worrying is not going to change your circumstance. Be at peace because know who's on the boat with you. But Jesus fell asleep. In the Gospels, it also tells us that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He mourned the passing of his friend that he loved dearly. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was hungry. After his baptism, he went into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible gives us one of the most obvious verses ever. It says, and he was very hungry. You and I would be hungry too if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Again, what I'm doing here is I'm emphasizing his humanity. It's important that you recognize that he was not just he was not just fully God, he was fully man. And that's what the prophecy foretold. A child would be born. Ultimately, Jesus was tired at, the, at John 4, at the woman at the well, sat wearily beside it, and ultimately he died on a rugged cross. Deity cannot die, humanity can. It's important that you recognize the humanity of Jesus Christ because we serve a God who understands what it's like to be you. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says it this way. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet remained without sin. You do not serve a God who is a distant deity, who's a million miles away, who cannot relate to you. No other faith can make this claim. Muhammad, Allah, they can't claim it. Nobody else can say that God became human and dwelt among us. And when you face a dark situation and you face anxiety in your life and nobody else can understand your pain, I want you to know this morning that you serve a God who can. You serve a God who is your advocate, your mediator, your wonderful counselor. He is a God who does not just understand your suffering and your weakness, but he loves you and is compassionate towards you in it. Anybody thankful today that we have a God who knows what it's like to be human? This is incredible, church. And when nobody else can relate to you or understand you, turn to Jesus. He was tempted in all points, yet he remained without sin. The Old Testament gave him a name El Roi which means you are the God who sees. You are the God who perceives. Now that may sound obvious to us today but In the ancient world, this was a revelation because in all other nations in the world, they worshipped graven images that were made out of wood and stone. And the people would adore and make sacrificial offerings to these graven images. But no matter how much they praised them, no matter how much they loved them, the images and the idols could never love them back. They were inanimate objects. But the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God who is a living God, a God who proceeds, who interacts with his creation. He is alive and well and concerned with the affairs of men. Anybody thankful you have a God today who sees you, who when everybody else overlooks you, there's a God who sees you. David said, what am I that you would even be mindful of me? You are the God of all creation. You merely spoke and the universe unfolded. It's vast expanses. You are great and glorious. What am I that you would even know my name? But the scripture tells us that we have an advocate, a God who sees and perceives. He understands our humanity. He was born as a baby, born as a child in weakness. I have a newborn child. He's about a month old and I can tell you, that's about as helpless as they come. He can't change his diaper. He can't do nothing but eat and sleep. A little funny, you're welcome. I'm not bitter, I promise. It's good, it's good. I love my child, I love him. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus could have stepped onto the scene of planet Earth as a grown man like Adam middle-aged, but instead he chose humility and meekness. Born in obscurity as a child, he became humble and vulnerable before us. Philippians 2.7 says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Do you understand what I'm reading to you today? The king of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, he chose to be a servant. He could have stepped onto the scene and demanded our praise, yet instead, he washes the very feet of the disciples. He models servitude. That is the God that we're talking about today. And don't get it twisted. We don't worship him today because he demands it out of obligation. No, we today worship him in response for his sacrificial death, his person, his character. We worship him not because we have to. We praise him because we get to. He came not to be ministered to, but to minister. Matthew 20, 28, in humanity, listen to this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Glory to God in the highest. It is important that you understand that your Messiah is fully man, fully man. Now then it says, but a son is given. And this does not speak to the humanity of Christ but rather the deity of Christ. A son given it references that he is the transcendent eternal god of all creation. He Always was, he is, and always will be. You have to understand that a son given is not Jesus stepping onto the scene for the first time in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. No, that is not where his story begins. Before there was time, space, matter, before there was anything, he was. He is the second member of the Godhead Trinity. He created all things, and to us, A child was born and a son given. The prophecy is that our Messiah would be fully man and fully God, divine, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus did not become a king. He was born a king. You know, every other monarch on earth was born a prince. But only Jesus was born a king. Because he always was. Prince Charles, Prince Harry, you know, get on all that stuff. They're born a prince, but Jesus, born a king. Come on, somebody. And his kingdom will have no end, and he will reign in glory and power. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In this Christmas season, if you don't take anything else away, I pray that you would remember that he is Emmanuel, God with you. Not just God with you when you feel him, not just God with you in the good days, but even when you cannot perceive him, even when you cannot feel him or sense him, by faith we rest in the confidence that he is God with me. Some magnificent promise. I want to read to you John chapter 1. I'm going to read several verses. That's not an apology. I'm just letting you know. We're going to read the Bible in church. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skipping down to verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can we give God praise for his word? Come on, Vision Church, and give him praise. That's magnificent. It's beautiful. He is a son given. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Verse 10 grips my soul every time I read it. He stepped into the world that he created, and the world did not recognize him. He came into his own, and they rejected him. He came to the world that he created, and our response was to nail him to a rugged cross. I want you to understand today that if Jesus were to arrive in bodily form on earth today, we would do it all over again because the world is at enmity against God. And I want you to hear me loud and clear this morning. You are either God's child or you are God's enemy. There is no different, there's no gray area. It's not like, well, I'm his cousin or third cousin. No, no, no. You are either his child or you are his enemy. This is the word of the Lord. Who are you today? And if you're unsure, you probably ain't his child. And I don't say ain't, but I'm from West Virginia. You're welcome. You are not going to accidentally make it to heaven. You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, yes, I thought I made it. No, you don't get there on accident, you get there on purpose. Because you humble yourself, repent, and rely fully on the finished work of Calvary's cross, where the Messiah bled and died for you. The Word became flesh, a son was given. We can't talk about a son being given and not mention the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have life everlasting, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. My God. For God so loved, listen, God saw you at your worst and loved you anyway. He saw your deepest, darkest secret, the thing that you wish nobody ever knew. He saw that thing. He saw the thing you thought about and hid in your heart, but you never acted on. He saw it. And he loved you anyway. Anybody can love you at your best. But he saw you at your worst and loved you anyway. And he loved you so much, he gave his son to die on a cross for you. Sadly, so many in the world see Christianity as this hateful, narrow-minded, condemning religious organization. But I would say to you, you are completely missing it. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And for a long time, the church has been famous for what we're against. But I just wanna let you know, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, former things pass away and all things are made new. And there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit through Christ will convict you of sin. That's a good thing. When I hurt your feelings, step on your toes and pull up in your driveway in a sermon on Sunday, that's good for you. The medicine doesn't feel good going down. The surgery isn't enjoyable when it's happening, but it's the only thing that brings you to life. Conviction draws you to repentance. Condemnation is the tool of the enemy that says you'll never be any better than you've been right now. You might as well give up, keep doing it, and give in. Condemnation is of the enemy, conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, church. It is vitally important that you understand this messianic prophecy is fully God, fully man, because only someone who was man could die for the substitutionary death of men. A man had to die for the wages of sin and death. There can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. The Messiah had to be a man in order to die for our sin. But the Messiah also had to be divine. He had to be sinless in order to take away the sins of the world. And that is why I will unapologetically declare with the last breath I have in me that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. I know Oprah says he's a way of many. But she ain't right. There is one way to the Father, and it is through Jesus Christ alone. You say, well, that's narrow-minded. I say, well, nobody else died for you. Buddha didn't die for you. Allah didn't die for you. Nobody else died on the cross for you. And by the way, nobody else was sinless. Oh, and to validate his lordship, he was buried, and three days later took his life back again. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The tomb is empty. He is risen. There is no other Messiah that could make that claim. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to share with you another powerful thought really quickly. Do you realize that the scripture tells us in Acts 7 and in 1 Timothy 2 that Jesus remains a man eternally? In other words, when he got up from the grave, he appeared to the disciples and over 500 witnessed his resurrection. Thomas touched the nail pierced hands of Jesus Christ. A glorified physical body was raised from death to life. That same body with the nail-pierced hands is the one that ascended to the right hand of the Father where he reigns in glory and majesty. There is a body in heaven right now that still bears the marks of our salvation. He still takes his body with him and forever, in all of eternity, he will occupy those nail-pierced hands because you are his masterpiece. And throughout all of eternity, if Ephesians 2 says God will point to you through all future ages as the example of his incredible grace and kindness. In other words, if heaven's angels were to ever grow weary in praise, Jesus will point back to you and me and say they don't deserve to be here. They don't belong here. They were dead in their sin. They turned their back on me, but I was rich in mercy and I loved them so much that I gave my life and heaven and all of its angels will erupt in praise praise and adoration of the greatness of your God. And by the way, Scripture implies that even the angels will marvel at your salvation. Because when angels fell, there was no plan to redeem them. Not a drop of blood was shed to purchase their redemption. Oh, but for you and I who were made just a little bit lower than the angels, he paid a high price for you. Do you understand that it's God's will that none should perish but all would find everlasting life? God does not want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to be saved. And ultimately, God does not send anyone to hell. We send ourselves by rejecting him. What more do you want God to do for you? He gave his only son to take away the sins of the world. If you would repent, confess with your mouth, And believe in your heart that he is the Lord. He will, and that God raised him from the dead, he will wash away your sin. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to know today that his kingdom is at hand. Scripture tells us that the government will rest on his shoulders. In other words, when you were born again, when you were saved by grace through faith, you be, your allegiance shifted from earth to heaven. You are no longer a citizen of earth, but a, a member of the kingdom of heaven. Our life should be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 22, but the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Isaiah prophesied that he would not just be a Messiah, but he would be, the government would rest upon his shoulders, the king of of kings. I want you to know Jesus didn't just die for your salvation. He died to bring you into a new kingdom, to give you a new perspective, a new allegiance, a new outlook on life. And our life should be different from the world. We are no longer following this world that is governed by Satan, by the way. And if you don't agree with me, you can read it in the Bible because it says it plain as day. And this Isaiah warned there would be a day in the end where they will call good evil and evil good. Congratulations, you're living in it right now. And you are either, you are either loyal to this world or you belong to another kingdom. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. One person with a golf clap in the balcony. I appreciate you. (laughs) Not gonna preach much longer. Isaiah 9 goes on to prophesy his names. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. I want you to understand today that there's a lot of people who will give you their opinion, how you should live, what you should do, what you should say. But there's only one wonderful counselor. And he is the one who identifies with your suffering. He knows what it's like to be human. And he, in your time of need, is your ever-present help. He is mighty God. And this is for my my brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith. I want you to see this in your own Torah, in your own Hebrewic document. It says that a child shall be born, a son shall be given, his name, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Jesus is not just another prophet, not just a nice guy. He is God in the flesh. If you have seen him, you have seen God the Father. He is our ever-present help in our time of need. Scripture says that not only is he mighty God, but he will break the yoke of slavery and lift the heavy burden from our shoulders. He breaks the oppressor's rod. In other words, in Jesus Christ, the power of sin is broken. It is no longer your master. He who the son sets free is free indeed. As a Christian, born again, you see the world in a new light. You don't love the things you used to love. Now you wanna please and bring him glory and praise. As a Christian, you will not be perfect. You'll be under construction for the rest of your life, but you will be marked by his spirit. There will be transformation in you and you don't sin cause you have to. Now you sin cause you want to. But even where sin abounds, his grace abounds much more. He is rich in mercy and deserving of our glory and praise. He is the prince of peace. Today, if ever the world needed a prince of peace, it is right here and right now. The anxious, the anxiety, the stress, the depression that weighs so heavy on the hearts of the world, I want you to know it can be alleviated in the person in the presence of Jesus Christ. Peace is not an emotion. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of God Almighty. If you're in this room today and you are not right with God, you don't know where you would spend eternity if you were to stand before him. I want you to understand today, that this, you're not here by accident or by coincidence. You're not watching or in the overflow by accident This is a divine moment where God wants to reach you. I said it a moment ago, you will either be his enemy or you'll be his child on the day of judgment. You won't be surprised that you're his son or his daughter. No, you get there by faith in Christ. Today, your life can be changed. You can walk out these doors knowing with a holy confidence and blessed assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you are no longer his enemy, but you are his child. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we repent before you right now. We confess our sinfulness. We have have followed the government of this world into lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. God, have mercy But today we thank you for your son, who is fully God, fully man, the perfect mediator, perfect sacrifice. And we believe that his death on the cross takes away the sin of the world. We believe he is risen from the grave. His tomb is empty. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you and serve you all the days of my life. And may my heart be more like yours. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.
0: Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially, It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you would like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.